Uh, first, uh, we're, we're at Second Thessalonians. So you're there at that last chapter, chapter five and first, and you're starting out there at Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians has a focus on the coming of Jesus Christ for the church, what we call the rapture. Probably one of the most strongest passages of scripture teaching the rapture in the Bible is First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 through 17 where it clearly describes in detail the coming of Jesus Christ for the church, okay? That's the emphasis in 1 Thessalonians. But, second Thess- but 1 Thessalonians also has a big emphasis on practical Christian living. It's kind of telling you this. Yes, you have to live down here through Sunday through Saturday, all right? Yes, you got bills to pay and coughs to deal with and, and kids to raise, but keep an eye on eternity. Keep an ear open for the trumpet because he's coming back. Amen. And that's how God wants, that's kind of the, if you just back up from it, look, that's what God's kind of saying. Yes, he's coming and be ready and live in light of that coming. But here's some practical things that I want you to live and be a part of your life. And that's what we got there in the last chapter of First Thessalonians. When you begin there, verse number 13, or verse number 14, he says, we exhort you brethren, this is First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, them to unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. And I did not preach on that, but let me just say about despise, despise not prophesying. In the context here of prophesying here, prophecy in the New Testament has two aspects. There is a foretelling of future events, but there's also what's called prophecy of foretelling, telling, preaching what God has already said will happen. At this point in history and in biblical life, there's no more foretelling of what's going to happen. God's already put in there everything's going to happen that we need to know. But we are to forth tell that, and in that comes warning and, it, and, 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 and things like that. And God says, don't despise that. When the preacher comes and preaches on hell, don't despise that. Amen. When he preaches on, on sin, don't despise that. Amen. When he preaches and warns and so forth, God says, don't get an attitude where he despises and all that. Now, he comes down there and says, prove all things. In other words, how do you prove it? Through the Bible. Don't just believe anything. Hold fast that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil. We preached on all these things. And in verse 23, we centered around this for a few Sundays where it said, in the very God of peace, sanctify you holy. W-H-O-L-E-Y, not H-O-L-Y, holy. And he gives it there. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to pay attention to what it said there. Look up the top of that verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you. You are not, and I am not, sanctifying ourselves. Look at verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Now you might resist the sanctifying work of God in your life, but if you're his child, he's going to stay after you. Because, and by the way, all those things that we read there, those are, those are aspects of sanctification. Quench not the spirit, rejoice evermore, Render, don't render evil for evil. Those are aspects, practical aspects that you can apply to your life every day of sanctification. Sanctification, we said, is being set apart from the world unto God for his purposes. 
It involves holiness, which is just simply obeying the Lord and living according to the word of God. It says you cannot do that in your own power. It takes the power of the spirit of God to do it. Someone I read this week said it well, and I think I've kind of said the same thing here before. Sanctification and holiness springs out of your spirit. It is not something that starts on the outward and works its way in. It's It's just like your salvation. It starts on the inside and works its way out. But I would really encourage all of us to have an attitude toward God. Lord, I thank you for saving me, for redeeming me and loving me. But Lord, give me a heart that does not resist sanctification. And when you show me an area of my life that is not pleasing to you, that is not lined up with the Bible, but needs to be, God, give me a heart and an attitude that I'll be willing and happy to let you do that work in me. That's, if you want to take some things away from my life that's not good for me and my family, that's okay, Lord. But give me grace to do that. Salvation is of the Lord and sanctification is part of God's salvation and it is of the Lord. But we can resist. You know, they talked about resisting the Holy Spirit. I, I just don't want, I don't want God doing that in life. Don't do that. that, that that's why I talked about it. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't put out what God's trying to do in your life. So anyway, that's something that God does within. And I want everybody to get this down. Sanctification, no more than salvation, is something you can do. It's something God does in you. But I will say this. You need to seek the Lord. Amen. And you need to say, God, I work in my life. It is Amen. God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm old enough to tell you what God has for his best. Amen. It's the best thing for you. And we, you may not see that or understand that at the time, but it's the very best for you. If he, you know, I, I've had things I thought I wanted to do and should do and wanted to do. <clears throat> And God said, huh? later down the road, I'd see, man, alive. I'm glad God kept me out of that mess. Amen. And then I've got myself in some messes. Amen. And I said, I wish I'd listen to God. Yeah. And I'll tell you how God speaks sometimes. <clears throat> he speaks about those in your life that are older than you. Yeah. If I had listened to my dad a lot better than I did, I'd have kept myself out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. And my dad was not anybody to try to impose his will upon your life, but he would tell you. He might say something along this line. Son, I hate to see you do that. Mm-mm, boy, I don't know if I'd do that or not. If he said that, that was a, bla- that was a bl- blaring red light because that's about as strong as he was going to get in trying to tell you that's not a good idea to do or I'd stay away from that. <clears throat> so I want to say this too. Sometimes God sanctifies you in the working of the people around you. You know, everybody's not against you that don't go along with what you're good. They don't, that might be the person who loves you the most is the one who loves you enough to tell you, hey, don't do that. Yeah. Or, hey, you need to do this. That's the person who loves you. So anyway, that's God. I'm, let me say something. Christianity is practical. It ain't just about not going to hell and going to heaven. It's about living every day and, uh, and having the best life that God can give us. Amen. Now, when you get into 2 Thessalonians, the emphasis in 2 Thessalonians is the revelation of Jesus Christ or the second coming of Christ to the earth with his saints. 1 Thessalonians coming for his saints. 2 Thessalonians when he comes back in Revelation 19 with his saints to rule and reign on this earth. All right. So that's the separation of these two, these two epistles. And you'll see that in the first chapter. So let's take off reading. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace unto you and peace. He always starts his epistles with that. You'll never have peace till you get grace. You'll never have grace till you humble yourself. God gives grace. His grace is sufficient. And, uh, but you'll have peace as you receive his grace. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I want you, he dies right in here. And I'll, listen, we're going to talk about something today, preach on something that everybody has to deal with in your life. Here we go. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because your faith groweth exceedingly. First thing he said, I want to thank God that your faith is growing. You know what I want in this church? I want your faith to grow. I want you to grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes the word of God. That my job is not to make you happy and wealthy. Right my job is to feed the flock of God and hopefully in some way by the power of the Holy Spirit, help you to grow in faith. And, and I'll tell you something, so many young families with kids and boy, I, my heart goes out to you. Man, in this world you're living in, you need all the faith, you need all the knowledge of God's word you can possibly get and you, the power of God in your life. And that's my goal. I, to, he was so excited for these people that your faith groweth. They didn't just grow, they had a hunger for the Bible, amen. They, I, I read something this week and kind of influenced me, but there's a lady and I don't know, and if she's using, using the wrong Bible, don't get mad at me because I don't even know what Bible she But in 2000, 2019, she decided that she would start a, 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 a what is it called? A, I don't even know what the podcast, is that right? All she does, they say, is read the Bible. So she put out there, I'm going to just read the Bible on my podcast, uh, so many chapters and just a little short disc, not very long. And she prayed, she said, and asked God to give her 300 people that would listen to it the first day. She got 300 responses over the first day. Now, as I understood, read it right, she has over 3 million people who listen to her read the Bible every day. Three, I think it's 3.1 million people by 2024 uh, that she just, she just reads the Bible. I thought, you know what, that's a good idea. Just start you a Facebook page and say, I'm going to read you one chapter out of the Old Testament, one chapter out of the New Testament. And these people are following her all over the world. Just, they just they know what time it's going to be on and they just read along with her. Now, that's what I understand about it. I ain't listened to it. I ain't seen it, but I saw it. By the way, you know where I saw it on? Fox News, which I don't like. That ain't nothing but a soap opera. I just happened, it caught my attention because lady reading the Bible amazed at how many people are listening. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. If we watch the news very much and all that kind of junk, we'll think people don't want it or have no interest in God. That's a lie. There are billions of people who you don't even know, never will know, that, that want to know something about God. They have an interest in the things of God. One of the amazing things was every once in a while, I guess evidently she makes some kind of a comment because she said, I, I told them when we was in Leviticus, she's read the Bible through 16 times so far. She said, I told them when you're reading Leviticus, you're not going to understand a lot of this till you get to Hebrews. So stay with me. Amen. <clears throat> See, I like that kind of thing. But anyway, I thought that, what, what an idea. Just read the Bible. Got all these podcasts talking about the news and all that junk all the time. We're just going to read the Bible. And three point million people following her reading the Bible every day. That's not a bad ministry God gave somebody there. Amen? Amen. Read your Bible. Well, anyway, he said their faith is growing exceedingly. Now, always remember this. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. It doesn't come by reading out your favorite commentator. Anyway, and then the next thing, charity. So I want you to circle the word faith and then circle the word charity. Now I'm going to give you something to do. 
Hebrews chapter, this helped me more than anything when I started preaching after I got saved. Jack Chick has the Bible reading program and in it, he says alternate every other day between Hebrews 11 and, and 1 Corinthians 13. Does anybody tell me what Hebrews 11 is? It's the great chapter on faith. And when you read it, it starts with Adam and, and, and so forth. Take you right through the Old Testament. And it will tell you what you need to know about those people's lives in brief. It's like a court brief. Like a judge said, I want a brief about. And then you go back where their lives are at in the Old Testament. And I am telling you, it opens up like a wonderland to you about their lives. You can build your faith just by reading Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I got heavy, Brother Kime, on Hebrews 11 because it says they, you know, stop the mouths of lions. And boy, I mean, tell you what, I get to read about it. faith, boy, you know. Well, you go, but to balance all that out, you got to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long, is kind, vaunteth not itself, is not easily provoked, endureth all things, okay? And it even says that though I, though I know, you know, prophesy, prophecy and all that kind of stuff, have all faith so that I can move mountains and have not charity, profit me nothing. You see, being strong in faith needs to be balanced with charity. And I've had a problem with that. I have a problem with, you know, I love people, love God, but, you know, it's like, I love you enough to tell you straighten up. <laughs> That's kind of my love. <laughs> well, you know, but see what he's doing here. He's exactly telling them faith and charity. These are two big things that a church needs. Look what it says about their charity. He said, for the patience and faith in all your, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse number three, your faith growth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you, not some of the folks in church, Every one of them, look at it. Charity of every one of them toward each other does what? What's the word? Aboundeth. I mean, those people were abounding in love for each other. They didn't walk in church and say, ah, that guy, I don't care much for him. He makes me tired. <laughs> what do you love me? I love him, but I can't hardly stand him. If you're not careful, you'll sink to that kind of Christianity. Paul was saying, I am so excited about this Thessalonian church. He said, these people are growing in the faith exceedingly. You see, these people learn about God. They're growing in the faith. Then he said, they love each other in this church. Uh, I tell you what, <clears throat> I got to put this in. For years, I, I would talk about Abraham Lincoln saying, oh, if he ever found a church where they love one another, he'd join it. And he never did find one, so he didn't join it. I thought that was real smart. Till I finally thought, well, why don't you just get, join one somewhere and show them how to do it? Yeah. You won't join one because they don't love each other? Why don't you jump in and try it? Yeah. 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 So I decided he wasn't quite as smart on that issue as they made him out to be. That kind of sounds smart. If I ever find a church that love each other, I'll join it. I tell you, why don't you just go in where they don't love each other and show them all how to love? Yeah. There's, there, there, that's, a higher, that's a higher ground, amen? Anyway, we'll get off of that. Verse number four, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. And watch this, for your patience. Does anybody got any patience you could, you could spare? I'll take it. I'm probably the most impatient man in this church. <laughs> I mean, just being honest with you. I'm just, when I'm out doing the job, nothing's supposed to break down. Everything's supposed to have gas in it, oil in it. Everything's supposed to go. Right? Car's supposed to start. Battery never down. <laughs> I ain't got time to be sick. And I sure ain't got time to die. <laughs> Besides, that costs too much to get buried. <laughs> patience. This church was learning something. They're learning patience. Now watch this carefully. And faith in all your something, here it comes, persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. 
Here's what he said. You were growing in faith exceedingly. You were loving each other, abounding in love. And yet you're going through, you're having patience in persecutions and tribulations. Now, let me just tell you the truth about it. Ain't nobody in this church house can really relate to these people because you know what's happening to these people? They were being put in, fed to lions. They were being butchered like hogs. They were being killed and slaughtered for professing the name of Jesus Christ and forgetting, following him in believer's baptism because that was the sign that they had followed Christ. And Paul said, I am so thankful for you people that in the midst of your persecutions and your tribulations of life, that you have this faith in Jesus Christ and this love. You know what he said? Basically, this is the real deal right here. These are people who can go through hard times and tough situations and they're not shaken out of their faith. They've got, they've, they have Christ. They've got, they've got true faith. Now, what I want you to watch is this. He says, I understand that you're going through bad tribulations. By the way, can I say that this past month during Christmas time, in one church in Nigeria, there was over a hundred Christian people slaughtered and killed by Muslims. But it hardly makes the news because our president and our leadership in this country could care less about people, Christians. I wouldn't be messing about Ukraine and stuff and I'm all for helping anybody that really needs help. But why didn't anybody peep a word about a hundred and some Christian people being killed in the country of Nigeria and Christians over there having to meet in, in secret and, and, and are being hunted down like hogs by the Muslims? Now that's persecution. That's tribulation. That's rough life. And if you'll still come to church and still serve God when the pressure's on, by the way, if a lot of the liberals had their way, it will come to this country. In Finland, in Finland this week, lady was, uh, 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 charges filed against her for putting Bible verses on her social media page. That's Finland. That's not, you know, some dark continent someplace. Supposedly, you know, it reminds me of Nazi Hitler. That's what it is. Let me just tell you about liberalism in America. It's Nazism. Get it down. They're, act, they're just like Hitler. They intend to shut everybody down that doesn't accept their woke theology. Well, anyway, let's get off of that. Now, he said, I understand. Now watch verse number five, which is a manifest token. Manifest, it's well-known token of the, well, here's the phrase I want you to get. We're going to get into something today that I think will help you. I want you to circle some words or underline some words or identify some words in the next verses. So he first of all, he says, all right, you've been, I'm so thankful for you. You're, you're growing in faith. You love each other, abounding in love. And he says, uh, he said, I know this. You have patience and faith through your tribulations and so forth. Now he said, this is a token of your faith. All right, now, but he said, it's a token also of here it comes. The righteous judgment of God. I want you to get that. The righteous judgment of God. And watch this, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Now they weren't worthy because they were suffering, but it's because of their faith that they suffered. And uh, their worthiness is like our worthiness. It's only in Christ, okay? But it was being manifested outwardly. It wasn't just cheap talk, all right? He said, it's a manifest token. Now watch, watch this. Now, first of all, you've seen the phrase, the righteous judgment of God. Now watch verse number six. Seeing, he said, I want you to see something here. 
that it is a righteous thing with God, a righteous thing with God to recompense, circle that word. We've already seen judgment. Now the next word is recompense, tribulation. What is recompense? What is recompense? Tell me. Payback time. Payback. All right. So you got the righteous. Now this is important. Righteous, not just judgment, but righteous judgment of, of God. And then in verse six, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation. Those people that are persecuting you and doing you dirty, God's going God's to recompense them. Yeah. What is he doing to this church? He is telling him that he's, he's addressing one of the most critical things that you're ever going to face in your life. And that is, how do I respond? How do I, what, what, hap, what do I do with people who do me wrong? How do I respond to this? When I've been done dirty. Now I'm going to, I'm going to lower it down to our little penny any sissy American Christianity because ain't nobody getting burned at the stake and nobody fed the lions here. But we have people that do us wrong. Yeah. Have you ever heard the statement, if, I'll get them back if it's the last thing I ever do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty common statement. Yeah. The issue of vengeance is one of the most important things that you and I are going to learn out of the Word of God. Because everybody, by somebody, sometime is going to get done dirty. And you're going to be done wrong. I had a man lie to me one time and cheat me out of, and I'm not even going to tell you the amount because you probably wouldn't believe it. It, Brother Kaim, it bothered me so bad, I had thoughts of killing him. I mean, I'm just literally, thoughts would run through and I'd have to cast them down and say, God, that, that, that won't work. It was so bad because he basically robbed me of several years of my labor by lying to me and in a, a business situation. And man, I'm gonna tell you something. I wanted vengeance. You probably had somebody do something to you. If you haven't, you probably will somewhere, sometime. Somebody won't pay a bill that, uh, that, you, that you went and did a job or whatever, and they won't pay you. And they've got all kinds of reasons and they've demonized you and every reason in the world why they're not gonna pay you. And it hurts your family. And you were planning on doing something with that money. Or maybe they damaged your, your reputation or your name. Whatever it may be. Or it could be just in church. Somebody did something awful to you. Maybe they did something awful to one of your children or your spouse. And if you're not careful, you get a vengeance attitude that this needs to be settled. This needs to be taken care of. See, there's innate within us. It's a God-given thing inside. A sense of justice a sense of justice in this world. And what's bothering a lot of people is they wonder where is justice? Yeah. You go to court and you don't get justice. Right. I mean, they, they, they punish somebody that didn't do anything. I, I'm gonna give you something. I mean, in all honesty, I look and see the court system right now and they're giving years to people who to me, they'd been better off giving them a whooping, put them on a work chain and send them back home or something. And then they're letting some guy off with nothing. The other day, there's a deal happened. A guy got, I'll give you this. Did you know there's a really a two or three tier justice system in America? The people that did all the riots this year, you know, they're talking about January the 6th. There's people that just did nothing more than walk around in the Capitol and they're in prison today. Yeah. 
But there's people who burned buildings down and killed people in the riots of, uh, what's his name, all over this nation, and they're not got nothing done to them. The Department of Justice has a two-tiered or three or four-tiered justice system. But that's not, it can happen right in your own county. It can happen right in your own local deals. But inside us, we look to a local, see, God delegates vengeance. In the Old Testament, there was the avenger of blood. And if somebody killed somebody, then they could appoint somebody as the, in the family as an avenger of blood. And he could chase that guy. And if he got it, he had to get into the city of refuge or he could kill him and, and it be, he could revenge, avenge the blood of his relative and it'd be legal. If he got inside the city of refuge, he couldn't touch him until the case was heard and so forth. Like all messages I preach, this thing, it blows up like a balloon. It gets bigger than anything. Anyway, I want to just back up. This thing of vengeance. We are in a moral universe. God's the one who created it. The sense of right, the sense of wrong, the sense of justice or injustice. He is both creator, a sovereign, and a judge. And this is where people get, if you don't understand the doctrine of the vengeance of Almighty God, you will get mad at God. You'll accuse God, falsely accuse God. Where's God at? Why did, why did God let this happen to my child? And we have to understand, and we say, where's, where's, the, where's this holy God at you talk about that's supposed to make everything right? And he lets all this stuff go on. Did you ever think about this when people were slaves in the United States? Did you ever imagine being a, a slave daddy and watch some white guy take your daughter because he, he can't do nothing about it and rape your daughter and you couldn't do nothing about it? Right on the same plantation. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think that dad said, if there's a God, where's the vengeance? Why does he let this happen? I don't have the power to protect my own daughter. I live in a judicial system that makes me almost less than an adult. I've heard slave testimonies say a dog's life was better than our life. He could go off and play. For centuries, for all of time, vengeance is an issue. And I am telling you right now, sometimes we wonder what's wrong with the person. We can't see inside the spirit mind of a lot of, of people, basically. And what may be going, what I believe really is going on with a lot of people, they've never got a hold of the ju- vengeance doctrine, the vengeance of Almighty God. And with faith and understanding that God will in his time and in his way settle every account that ever was. Can I tell you today that if you get it in your head solid and believe this book, that God is a God of vengeance, watch this, and that it belongs to him and not to us. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. If we're not careful, we're spending our life trying to figure out how I can get that guy back. How I can hurt them back. And what we're saying is, God, we are basically at that point stealing from God, saying, no, vengeance is mine, God. I will repay. You just walk off from the scene. I'm going to take care of it myself. 
we become thieves to God Almighty. And in the process, because we don't understand the doctrine, we don't understand the, the Bible about this thing, we spend our life in constant vengeance, even about petty things and little things. They did this, they did that, they said this, they said that. And we spend our lives taking vengeance in our own hands, planning out how we're going to get them back or assisting anybody else that wants to get them back. And we live in turmoil and do not have peace and comfort in us. When God wants us to do this, vengeance is mine, Reggie. I will repay. You listen to me. Now we're going to get into some things. There's a difference between the vengeance of God against evil, pers- unsaved people and, uh, and, and people that are not his children. When you and I sin against somebody as a child of God, we're not getting vengeance like lost people get. We're going to get a vengeance of chastisement. We're going to pay. We're going to reap everything we sowed. I don't know about you, but if you live to be 70, and I'm not, I don't like to get off on that, but I can tell you something that you learn by the time you're 70. You are going to reap everything you sowed and you're going to reap more than you sowed and you're going to reap a lot later than you sowed. So don't sow a bunch of junk because you are going to reap it. Part of God's vengeance is in the law of sowing and reaping. Now I want to say something, blank statement. Don't let, don't ever talk, use this word, karma. That's junk. We are not talking about karma and their concept of this. Throw that out the window of your soul and never go out in the yard and pick it up. We are talking about vengeance of an almighty, holy, righteous God who will do it right and who will do it righteously. Why wouldn't God want me to take vengeance for myself and take care of it myself? Because I do not see the bigger picture. I do not see the whole God's sovereign picture in it. God, hey, when Joseph was sold by his brothers, do you ever think that he got to thinking about vengeance on them? If I ever get a chance, I'll get them. They sold me into slavery. My own brothers. If there's anybody in the world had a reason to be, have vengeance. But when it came time when he could have had vengeance, what did he do? You meant it for evil. He didn't, he didn't smooth over it and act like it wasn't there. He said, you meant evil against me. But he said there was a higher thing going on. God had an eternal sovereign purpose in what he allowed you to do to me. And because of that, I don't have to be tore up. And you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you know what he did? He fed his brethren. He took care of them. He got them a place to live. Took care of them. You know why? You know why Joseph was used of God? Because he didn't sit for 30 years down there in Egypt and going, if I ever get a chance, I'm getting them back. I'm going to get them back for the last thing I ever do. Bless God, if I ever get out of Egypt, I'll kill every one of them. No, he understood the doctrine of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I'll repay. Now, you can tell you something. It's easy to sit up here and preach that. It's another thing to believe that and live it. Because you know what we'll do? What we do, we say, well, I just put, I don't, don't even think about it. Just let it go. Let's let it go. No, no. If we're not careful, we've got files over here behind the door. Right. And some little something happens. And we were just waiting. And may it be in this form here. We just, now we had a chance to hurt them. 
by telling something on them, saying something about them. Trying to hurt their business or whatever they're trying to do. We finally had our chance. So we go back in the file and we pull it out and we exercise vengeance. I really believe that we would be a free and happy people if we just believed the Bible about this issue and said, you know what, vengeance, you say, well, you, are you saying we shouldn't, people shouldn't be paid back? Didn't say that at all. In fact, God didn't say that. In fact, God said just the opposite. God, do you know what God said? That every thought he knows, every attitude, every motive, and every word and every deed will be brought into judgment. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Every time, hey, Bill, have you ever had bills not paid for, for fixing somebody's rig? How many bills you got up there people ain't paid you? Ten? Huh? You forgot about them. Don't remind you either, right? But let's just say that if he spent every day of his life, he's under that car, working on that car, and all he can think about is that guy that owes him that bill and cheated him on that, on that bill. Is that man going to have any peace? No. Is he going to have any comfort? It is a wonderful, comforting thing that God tells you and me, I'll take care of it. You go on and enjoy your life. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Amen. I want to ask you a question. How many here has ever been done dirty by anybody at least one time in your life? Would you raise your hand? Let me, let me look around, make sure I want, I want to make sure I'm in good company. That's 90%, if not more. The rest of them was just kids that didn't even know what I'm talking about. I'm glad for them. I'm going to tell you something. This affects everybody. Did you know there are preachers with vengeful attitudes? They got hurt by another preacher. Another preacher said this about him. And boy, I'll just tell you what. I'll hurt him when I get a chance. Uh, somebody come up and said, well, I was going to think about having brother so-and-so come preach revival. What would you? Uh, I'd think about that pretty hard before I did. Why, why'd you say that? Getting him back. If we're not careful, vengeance is done in a very subtle, self-justifying, self-rationalizing, even making it look spiritual way. So let's look at some things. Man alive. I don't know what. I, I think I'm getting to where I can't preach. I'm honest with you. God was promising these Thessalonican believers, I know you're going through persecution. I know you're going through tribulation. And I know it's bad. And I also know that you want to probably wonder and look up and say, where's God? And why is God letting this happen? And what he's telling them this, and you take your verses, let's go on through there in verse number uh, seven. And to you who are troubled, look what he says. Look at it. What? Rest. Look at your Bible. Rest. He said, you're troubled by all these things. But he said, I don't want you to be troubled. I'm going to take care of this someday. You say, well, I thought I shouldn't even think God should pay him back. Go back and read David. Go back and read your Bible. You know what, David? No, it's not personal. Hey, by the way, now we're not on high ground, but we're up on the mountainside. Yeah. High ground is when you can pray for them and love them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But don't think that people are not, the high ground is when you can love it. You know, you get this. This just hit me yesterday. I was telling this, I, I, like, I felt like a kid just got saved and learning something. 
It's like, Lord, I, I see now why you want me to pray for my enemies and those that despitefully use me because they got your vengeance coming at them. And anybody, you ought to pray for anybody that's got God's vengeance hanging over them. There's a reason God said pray for them. It wasn't just to be nicey-nicey. They need prayer. They need prayer to repent before God's vengeance hits them. All right, now let's go on up verse number eight. Look at this. Now we're looking at, we're looking at lost people here. In flaming fire taking, there's the word. What? Vengeance. On them that know not God. Can I tell you, if you're lost here today, you're under the wrath of God, the vengeance of God. What's, you say, what's God vengeful about? Because you've rejected his son. Amen. You've said you're righteous. You don't need him. You don't care. Yeah. I don't need God. You've rejected God's gospel. Look, in fact, look what it says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You rejected the gospel. You wouldn't obey or repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number nine. Here's the next word. Who shall be punished? So you have the word judgment, you have the word recompense, you have the word vengeance, and you have the word punished. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come. So here's four words God uses to say in this issue. Now I'm gonna, I was gonna tell you, real, the brief of this thing is this. I want Reg Kelly not to spend his life in vengeance, secretly down inside against people who have done me wrong. Amen. I want the peace and the comfort that God can give in the realization that if they've got it coming, God will take care of it. Amen. And if God takes care of it, it'll be right. Because the real fact, why wouldn't God want us to take vengeance? We don't really know what's in their mind. We don't know the backstory. We can't be totally just. There's no way for us to be totally just because we don't know all things. And if we knew all the story, we might not see it as we see it. So God's saying, because you're not finite, because you're finite and not infinite, because you don't know the whole story, or you don't know the sovereign purposes of God in even allowing that to happen, you leave vengeance up to me. And besides that, I want you to spend your life in comfort and in peace. I don't want you laying your head on your pillow, mad as a hornet. And further than that, I don't want you getting to the place of where you're mad at God because you don't feel like he's doing what he ought to do. Does this all make sense? As a pastor, that's what I want for me. As a pastor, I should want that for this congregation that every child grow up in a home here where they say, you know what? It's not going to tear us up. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Amen. Not too long ago, I was in a situation where I found out that a man had bought some stuff off of a farm from a widow. Took it, didn't pay her. Ripped her off. And to this day, still hasn't paid her. But I will tell you something. I know that widow. Peace. It ain't running her life. 
By the way, can I say something to you? This has to do with sanctification. He's playing right off this deal being sanctified. You know what sanctification will do in us? It'll do this to us. It will do such a work of the Holy Spirit that we don't spend our life driving around the road, barting our teeth, and our mind almost deranged by vengeful thoughts. Our loving Heavenly Father does not want me wasting one minute of my life in things that He has reserved to His own power and His time and His judgment. Amen. Now wait just a minute. God has delegated vengeance to government. Man that sheddeth man's blood shall by man also, that's in Genesis chapters, what, six? Yeah. God has given power in governments so that if somebody robs your home, part of his vengeance is, and by the way, get this, it's temporal. This is more teaching message. Some of his vengeance is temporal in that if I rob Randy's home, he calls the police and he said, well, it was a red pickup and it didn't have license on it. It looked like Red Skelly's truck. I don't know. And they'd go and I got his stuff and they arrest me. What is that? And they take me to court and they either say, well, you're going to pay all this money back, plus this, plus this, plus this. What's happening? God is giving temporal vengeance for him upon me for what I did to him. And if he sees in the court that they are, Reggie went to jail five years. He had to pay him back four times what he stole and had to make it a public apology and admin, admin, admission that he stole it. You know what it's going to do? It's going to say, well, he got what he deserved. Do you know what's eating a lot of people up? They've had bad things done to them and nobody's ever done nothing about it. And it was a temporal vengeance issue where the courts and the police and the, the powers that be that God has ordained should have taken care of the issue and didn't do it. And they've watched justice perverted and twisted. And here's what happens. If we're not careful, Satan will come right in on, on you and say, they're getting away with it. Yeah. And God's not just. God let them get away with it. Yeah. Let me give you, boy, this message hadn't gone. Tonight, y'all want to come back tonight? I'll be here. Okay. Now, some of you, I, yeah, you know, some of you, some of you, I don't want you to get out. And I'll tell you why. Dark night, slip, fall, something like that, or something happened, have a flat in this kind of cold weather. I don't want you out there fixing the tire. And I do, okay. Just use your judgment. But I'll be back. We'll do a lot of scriptures on the board about vengeance and about. Can anybody tell me where the first time the Bible, the issue of vengeance was brought up? Anybody got any idea about that? Cain and Abel. Sevenfold vengeance. What's the number seven mean? Complete. Watch this. It'll tell you what you need to know about God's vengeance. Complete perf means completion. Perfect completion is what seven means. What's it telling you? God will execute complete, perfect vengeance. Amen. First thing you need to know. That's what he wants you to know. God's going to take care of it. Amen. I don't raise your hand. Has anybody got to hear there's some people cheated you pretty bad, done you pretty wrong, and you'd kind of like for God to get them. Don't raise your hand because <laughs> I ain't raising mine. <laughs> See, it's in us, isn't it? Yeah. It's the sense of justice and immoral universe that people that do wrong should have to pay for it, to rectify it, to settle the account. Back in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Naboth. And Naboth had a vineyard that was hard by the palace of the king Ahab. And king Ahab, being the character he was, 
got to looking at it, got to covenant it, got to lusting after that piece of property, and got himself into a sissy fit, leaning, turning his head to the wall, and sold up like a possum, like men do. And uh, anyway, uh, Jezebel comes over to him and says, what's the matter with you, honey? He says, well, Naboth's got a vineyard down there and he, he won't sell it to me. And I want it. And she said, no, you just go ahead and take your nap. I'll take care of that. And she went down. Sometime I'm going to preach a message on Jezebel. But Jezebel is one of the most important things you'll ever know as a church member. One of the most important doctrines you'll ever know. I promise you that. Now, we're going to go there today, but here's what Jezebel did. She, she was a Baal worshiper, but you know what she did? She was dealing with an Elijah situation and she knew it. She took it to basically a Christian court and acknowledged the God of Israel. She took it into the judicial system of that blaspheming God and the king, which was a death penalty. And the king, if there was a blasphemy of the king, he, the, the, the blasphemer was to be killed and the king got the property. She used legal mechanisms of biblical faith to accomplish wickedness, okay? She brought them into court, had false accusers to accuse Naboth of blaspheming God and the king. She had his, and when it was all done with, she had him taken out and stoned and killed and his sons, the heirs to the property so there could never be a claim against the property. She wanted clear title. And that's the way she went and got it. Innocent man. Yeah. It, Brother Michael, it'd be just like somebody framing you up to a crime you never committed to get what you've got and, make, and killing all your sons to make sure nobody ever claimed that property. Total innocent person. Where's God at? Yeah. Where's God? Well, I'll tell you where God is. He's on his throne. And God sent a man by the name of Elijah. And when he went down to take possession of that vineyard, he sent Elijah down at the same time. And they come around, the, I, I just see this. Old Elijah come around the corner of that vineyard row. And there stood Ahab. And Ahab said, Thou hast found me, thy, mine enemy. He knew who his enemy was as a man of God. Yeah. And Elijah said this. Elijah gave him the vengeance of God that was going to happen. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. He said, you are going to get killed and you're going to die and the dogs are going to lick your blood up at the very ground and the very spot that you stole. And then he added another little add-on to that. He said, and your wife, who accomplished all this garbage, said the dogs are going to eat her by the walls of Jezreel. He named a specific town and a wall. And he said, the dogs are going to eat her. Now, you want you to listen to this. A month went by, nothing happened. Naboth and his boys are buried. Ahab and Jezebel's got the vineyard. Injustice, nobody to take their case, nobody to do nothing. Two months goes by, six months goes by, a year goes by, everybody's forgetting it. A year and a half goes by. Two years go by. Nothing. <laughs> two and a half years go by. But three years later, a king came down there and wanted to, Ahab to fight with him. So he did. And when he went out, 
The Bible said this, that a man pulled a bow at venture. He just pulled his bow up in the air and just said, let her fly. Yep. And God Almighty took that arrow and put it right between the vestments of the armor where it hinged in that little hole and sent that arrow right into the chest of Ahab. It didn't kill him instantly. He kept running his chariot, but his blood was draining down in the floor of that chariot. By the time the evening came, he lost enough blood that he died. Guess what happened? They drove that chariot down to the spot where Elijah told him it'd be at to wash the blood out of the chariot. And the Bible said, and the dogs licked his blood. There's something God wants you to know. God never forgot about Naboth. Right. And God hadn't forgot about you. Amen. A year goes by. Four years goes by. Five years goes by. Ten years go by. Twelve years go by. Everybody's forgotten. Fifteen years go by. Eighteen years go by. And twenty years goes by. And God raises up a man by the name of Jehu. And Jehu goes down to clean house. By the way, and if you read your Bible on that, on his condemnation and vengeance against Ahab, he said, now let's just, just listen to the Bible language. He said, every one of your, I'll just put it in my vernacular, every one of your descendants that pisseth against the wall. He's talking about boys. He said, your sons? He said, I'm going to put them away too for what you did. That's why, daddies, we better be careful how you do business because your sons may have to pay for your crooked dealings. Jehu come up and he started cleaning house. He goes up and gets a hold of the men who were raised in those 70, Ahab had 70 sons. What's that tell you about him? He's a whoremonger. He had 70 sons and he told him, he said, you better bring them to, he said, I was cut it short. He said, you bring them down there with every one of them boys' heads in a basket or I'm going to kill you. The next morning they showed up with baskets full of the heads. Now, the heads of 70 of Ahab's sons. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will betray. Why? You killed the innocent sons of Naboth. You're going to reap way more than you sowed. And then the Bible said, Jehu went down toward Jezreel. And you know who's sitting up in the window in the wall of Jezreel? Jezebel. And the Bible said she heard that Jehu was coming. She, she knew there was, there was a civil war going on. And she knew he was wiping everybody out. And she, and she realized the power he had. She tires herself up. She Bible lit herself. She painted herself up. Fixed herself all up. Now you know what I think? She looks like a Phyllis Diller. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, can I tell you something? When you get to be 80, lay off the makeup. You know what I mean? It don't work. <laughs> I, I was free, amen? <laughs> anyway, she's sitting up there with eunuchs. And he asked, is anybody up there with her? I'll just make the story short. You know what they did? He said, throw her down. And those eunuchs throwed her out of that window down and hit the ground. And the chariots ran over her and he went on to eat dinner. When he came back, the dogs had eaten everything but her hands, her feet, and her skull. 
Now I want you to see the picture. She, fall, she fell on the ground. She probably no doubt hit her head, broke some limbs, and she's laying there in agony. And all of a sudden up the street comes a pack of dogs. And don't you think that Ahab had not told her what Elijah, you know what Elijah said? He said, I'm going to, the dogs are going to lick my blood up and dogs are going to eat you at the walls of Jezreel. <laughs> yeah. Crazy preacher. Yeah. And she's hit the ground and she heard, oh, boom. I'm going to tell you something. It came back to her. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I can see that first dog come up and grab her by the shoulder and start ripping. And another dog comes and starts grabbing her by the neck and he starts ripping. And another dog comes and grabs her by the leg and he starts ripping. And her teeth sink in an inch, two inches. And they start ripping the flesh off that woman. And they ate her, all of her, and took all of her bones off with them, except her skull and her feet. And, it, and the old preachers used to say, watch the judgment of God, the vengeance of God. The brain that hatched the evil deed was so evil that the dogs would need it. The hands and the feet that accomplished it the were so nasty, the dogs would need it. What I want to tell you this morning is this. I don't want to spend one night in my life biting my teeth with hatred and vengeance. Our Heavenly Father wants us to have comfort and peace today by saying, Lord, and I'm going to give everybody in this building and online a chance today, right now. Say, God, I want to give you back what belongs to you, and that's vengeance. God, I'm going to believe that you will pay. I'll tell you one more Bible story and we're done. David was on the run. Saul was chasing him and he's trying to kill him bad. David had exercised this truth twice when he could have killed Saul and wouldn't do it. He said, I'll let God take care of it. I'm not going to kill him. But they got on down the road and David was kind of like a vigilante group. And they had been camped out up in the mountains and they were in Mount Ararat, I believe it is. And there was a man by the name of Nabal. He had a big ranch, thousands of sheep. And come sheep shearing time, David sent his men down there to see if they wouldn't give them some sheep and kind of help them along. Because they said, we've been a guard to them and kept those sheep and tried to take care of his stuff for them, been good to him. He sent his men down there and he basically, I'll put it in hillbilly, he cussed them out and sent them on their way and accused David of everything but maybe. I think David done like Reg Kelly did right there, and a lot of us will do. He had reached his boiling point. I'm tired of trying to do right with people, and they get stabbed in the back. And I've just had all I'm taking. And the Bible said that David told his men to gird themselves up with their swords. And he said, I'm telling you one thing, when I'm done with that guy, they, he used the same verbiage. There won't be anybody that can piss against the wall left at that ranch. Now there's a man mad. You listen to me. David had done pretty good to that point. But you can go a long life and do pretty good. And then someday something happens and something inside you says, that's it, I took all I can take. 
and they're coming down the trail. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, heard about it. She knew they were in trouble. And the Bible said she gathered some different things together and told them to hurry. And they ran up there and they met David and his soldiers up on the mountainside. David saw her and he stopped. And she fell out and she fell on her face. And she used, if you ever want to know how to make an appeal, read that woman's speech. But one of the things she said in verse 33, 31, 33, and 36, three times, she appealed to David, do not take vengeance in your own hands and be guilty of blood. Yeah. Two times she did. In verse 36, David, David broke. I, I tell you this, when I read this, it breaks my heart. Because David was willing to listen to the messenger of God. And sometimes in your life, the messengers of God are not going to be the people you think it's going to be. And David said, blessed be the Lord God who sent you so that I would not avenge myself and be guilty of blood. And David listened. And David then remembered, vengeance is mine. Deuteronomy chapter 32 Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Thank you for reminding me that I, could, I just shouldn't let this tear me up and ruin my life. The difference is that he listened to the word of God. David backed off. She went back home. Nabal was drunk. Partying. That night his heart went stone, next day he's dead. You listen to me. David, David got everything he owned. I was, if you want to know the truth about it, you know why I know that? Because he was married to Abigail. When he died, Abigail got it all, and David married Abigail. You talk about vengeance? <laughs> Mercy sakes alive. You can go all the way through the Bible, and God will prove to you, if you'll believe him, that vengeance belongs to God. Amen. And he will repay. Amen. Right. And to, in history, there's been people murdered. All kinds of atrocities. People raped. And we cry out for justice. God is a just God. Amen. And he will recompense and he will judge and he'll go further than that. He will exercise vengeance and he will punish. And those are the four things in that short text that you read that God reminded those people. Sister Carol, I want to make you a promise upon God's word today that I don't care who might have done you wrong. You don't need to worry about it. Give it to God. Lonnie, I don't care how you may get cheated in life. Somebody dirty dogged you, cheated you out of $30,000. I don't know. <coughs> Lied on you, but I promise you God will repay. Amen. And God wants his people to go home and rest. That's what he said Amen. right there in that passage. Right. So I want you to rest because I'll take care of it. Amen. Now today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're getting ready to go home. 
you're here. You say, Reg, you know, I have trouble with that sometimes. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and say, Lord, would you give me faith today to believe your word that vengeance is yours? You'll repay. I don't have to worry about it. And Lord, I'm going to give it to you today. And I'm going to give you back the vengeance I tried to steal from you. Would you bow your head before God right now? And would you just, if God would give you grace. Now, maybe you've never been done wrong. And maybe you don't have any problem about wanting vengeance. But if you're like most of us, somewhere along the trail of life, you've had something pretty hard hit you. Been cheated, lied on, hurt, wounded. Would you just say by faith today, Lord, right now, I don't want another uncomfortable night. I don't want another day where I'm stewing and making myself miserable, trying to take vengeance that does not belong to me. Lord, today and right now, I give you this matter. And I believe that you will execute vengeance like you said. And Lord, I, I ascribe that it belongs to you and not to me. And I give it to you now that you will repay. But could we go a step farther right now in prayer and say, Lord, I pray now for those upon whom your vengeance is hanging over. Let me tell you something. I was a lost sinner headed to hell, a criminal against God. And the vengeance and wrath of Almighty God was hanging upon my head and over me, Brother Phil. Jesus Christ come. He was a lovely Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God. And He came and He took my vengeance that belonged on me, the vengeance of God against my sin. And on that cross He suffered and bare my sin in His own body on the tree. And He took the vengeance of God for this. That's why I should want God to have mercy you're here today and lost, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Vengeance of God hanging over you. If you could comprehend that in the 10th part of it, you would get saved. May God unblind your eyes today. But on this personal level as a Christian, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you today in sacred awe and respect of your holy word and your holy character. Lord, you know the vengeance that rises up in our hearts that we want to steal from you. And you know the sense of justice and we see things happen. We say, when will God do right? When will God handle this? God do something. It isn't right. And we want you to do it right then. God today, forgive me for planning or charting or meditating upon vengeance or even wishing your vengeance upon them. 
Lord, it's already settled in the councils of heaven that you're going to visit vengeance upon all wrongdoing. I don't have to wish it on nobody. Lord, you said I will repay thou that dost not lie. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would give us the peace and the comfort of understanding the vengeance of Almighty God to rest and to give it to you right now. And Lord, in specific cases that might come to our mind, Holy Spirit, remind us of this so important doctrinal truth. Even Lord, in our ministry, in our Christian walk, we get hurt by people and lied on and all kinds of junk and done dirty and betrayed and whatever. And Lord, I pray if there is vengeance due to them, Lord, help us to know you'll take care of it and it'll be done right. Free us from the bitterness, the bondage, and the garbage of trying to exercise what belongs to you. And God, enable us to rest, I pray. And Lord, I pray in this church that we'd continuously reach for higher ground in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.